it's April, month of the military child. Even though my family is not a military family, I live in a military community and I see firsthand the unique experiences in life that they have. So today's guest is Hannah Hensley. Actually, she reached out to me and asked to be on the show to share her experience as a twin mom. She has three kids, a toddler and well, actually her twins are toddlers too. Uh, So three toddlers, including a set of twins, and she's also a military spouse. She is going to share her experiences with both of those things today. If you enjoy listening to me and my friends chatting, I'd love it if you'd leave a rating and review in your podcast app. I know it seems silly, but there's not really an algorithm for podcasts. And so if there's ratings and reviews, it helps people find the podcast when they're doing searching. Thanks, neighbor. Hey, I'm Amber, mom to boy girl twins, plus three other girls. My oldest was in kindergarten when baby five came along. I have a lot of kids and a lot of practice parenting them, but when I have a question, I turn to an expert, another mom. I believe the best advice comes from moms in the trenches, living it day in and day out. So sit back as I ask the real experts, moms like you, all the advice you asked for, and some you didn't. This is Neighborhood Twin Mom. Welcome to the neighborhood. Today on the show, I have Hannah Hensley, and she is a mom to three kids but I'll let her introduce her family a little bit more. My name is Hannah. Um, I've got three kids. Uh, my oldest is Wyatt. He's uh, four and in his first year of preschool, which is great to have him out of the home a little bit. And then we've got our twins, Jensen and Mavis, who are almost 18 months and into everything. I stay at home with our kids and my husband, Sam, is in the Air Force. He's been in for over eight years, which is a long time. And yeah, so that's them. We, I don't know how much detail you want me to go into what, about whatever you want us getting married. So yeah. Yeah. Tell me how you guys met. Was he already in the air force when you guys met? So like a lot of military couples, we were high school sweethearts. So we met in Illinois in high school and dated all throughout. And then he, I mean, I knew right away when we started dating that he was going to join the military someday. He joined the air force right out of high school. And then I graduated a year after him. And he got stationed in San Antonio. And at the same time, my family ended up moving to Austin. So we were two hours away from each other, which was kind of crazy. I mean, that doesn't normally happen, which was good for him because he was not ready to get married. We did that for a couple years. Then I finally roped Sam into marrying me, which we were. So we were young. We were 20 and 22 and probably way too young to be getting married, having any business, you know, doing married adult things. But we did it anyway. And then. About a year later, we had Wyatt, our oldest. So that was about four and a half years ago. What does that math add up? We've been married almost six years. I don't know. I can't do math anymore. <laughs> but, <laughs> so we had Wyatt and things were, you know, rough as I think they are for first time parents. Then we found out when Wyatt was like four months old that Sam was going to deploy for the first time. So that threw us through a little bit of a loop. And then right before he deployed, he found out he was going to be going to Korea right afterwards for a year. So it was just like back to back. Like he had never deployed, never been anywhere but San Antonio. And all of a sudden we had this little baby and he was going on deployment and then he was moving away for a year. So it was uh, a really rough time for us, but we made it through. And then by the time he came back from Korea, we had moved to Washington because he had gotten orders in that time. So we moved up to Washington. He came home from- And Wyatt by yourself moved up there first? Yeah, so he was in Alaska for training and we were visiting. We were like, maybe we should look at 
buying a house because we don't know what it's like up there and we don't know how long it takes to buy a house. So we talked to a realtor and we did all like sight unseen, found a house, everything like that. And so he came home for Wyatt's birthday in September and we celebrated his birthday and then we packed up and moved us all to Washington. And then a couple of days later, he went back to Korea. That was an interesting couple of months. So we did that for a few months and then he came home in December, 2019. So things were still normal in the world. And I was like, I think we should have another baby. And he was like, are you sure? <laughs> if I'm ready for that, I just got home. But I convinced him to do it. It was in February. And then in March, obviously, we know what happened, March 2020. And then like two weeks later, I had my first ultrasound and found out it was twins. So you're by yourself probably in the ultrasound? Oh, yeah. Yeah. By myself. Yeah. Which, but I don't know if we talked about this before that I was like 99% sure it was twins already. So none of us were surprised. Oh, really? How come? So found out I was pregnant and it was really early. I think it was like, you know, I was tracking everything. So it was like probably four days earlier than you're supposed to find out. Oh, okay. And I was like, well, that's kind of crazy. And then it was kind of like everything started sooner because I compared everything to my first pregnancy. So I got sick right away really soon and it was constant. And then, um, you know, with Wyatt, I would have like constant salty cravings. So I wanted hot dogs and French fries, which is not normal for me. I'm a sweet tooth person, candy and chocolate. And with the twins, I would crave the salty stuff. And then as soon as I had it in front of me, I could not eat it. And I'd be like, I need anything, but what is in front of me right now? I cannot eat anything salty. So it was like really extreme, everything, everything was extreme. And I was like, this is great. Like, this is not normal. (laughs) And maybe I'm crazy, but this doesn't seem like a normal. It felt totally different. Yeah. And so then it was like, I think I was maybe four and a half weeks. And I told Sam, I was like, my pants don't fit. And he was like, you're crazy. You, that baby is the size of not even a fingernail. It's like a couple cells. There's no way that your belly is big enough that your pants don't fit. I was like, I'm telling you, my jeans don't fit. None of my clothes fit normal anymore. And so then I think it was around like seven or eight weeks, which I think people at that point would normally have an ultrasound to confirm. I was like, I think it's twins. Like I just have a feeling. So he thought I was crazy and I didn't tell anyone because no one knew I was pregnant yet aside from like our parents, but I didn't tell anyone that I thought it was twins because I didn't want someone to think that was nuts. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I was, I remember sitting in the waiting room for my ultrasound and I was thinking like, if this is not twins, I am going to be genuinely shocked because I just know that it's two babies. I had even told my midwife a couple days prior before my ultrasound. I was like, well, I think it's actually twins. And she was like, okay, sure. Whatever you say. Yeah. Person. Yeah. And so I went and I'm just hanging out and I look over and I'm like, oh, yep. There's two babies. (laughs) Is that what I think it is? And she was like, "Mm -hmm. do you know, do you have twins in your family? I was like, no, I was just Pretty sure that was twins. <laughs> they are fraternal twins. Yep, they're fraternal twins, boy so and girl. So die die. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So die die. So that was great because it was low risk. And what did your husband say? Was he on board by then? I had called him right afterwards. I was like, I, you know, I'm I'm really hungry. I just tried to play it cool. I didn't want to like let it slip, but not in person. I was like, I'm I'm pretty hungry. I think I'm gonna grab some lunch. He was like, okay, yeah, you know, grab me something. I was like, okay. I just sat in the parking lot for like half an hour, tried to process it all. Oh wow, okay. So I got home and I just I walked in and uh he was like, Well, is it two? 
And I was like, why don't you take a look? I mean, he knew, you know, I think he knew too, but he saw it and he was like, whoa, that's two babies. <laughs> and so I think, honestly, I think even 18 months later of them being alive, we're still in shock that we have twins, like constantly. <laughs> like, yeah. how, how did that happen? Like, we didn't know anyone really that had twins. I mean, we knew a couple twin, we had friends that were twins, a couple growing up, but nothing, we don't have them in our family or anything like that. So we're just, just doing the best we can. And how'd your pregnancy go and how'd the birth go? Pretty uneventful, thankfully. It was rough because with COVID, they tried to reduce the number of appointments at you. Okay. Yeah. Obviously. So I had, it was like every other appointment was virtual, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. That was, that was kind of rough. It was more just like my symptoms were tricky. So I was sick for the first 20 weeks and then I was just big for the next, you know, 17 weeks. So I couldn't, I didn't feel like I could do a lot. And I was like bloated and swollen and everything hurt all the time. I'm sure my husband was tired of me complaining at that point. And then towards the end, um, I had my ultrasound growth ultrasound at 28 weeks. The babies had been previously like right at 50th percentile, which is obviously great. And Wyatt was an average size baby. So that's kind of what we were expecting. And Jensen was, you know, average or a little bit bigger, but Mavis had started to drop in size. So she had gone from 50th percentile to like 25th percentile. And then my ultrasound a couple of weeks later, she was like 12th percentile. And then I think by my next one, it was like less than three percentile, which is like as small as it goes. So she had just kind of stopped growing at that point. And then I had kept telling my doctors because they gave us all at home, like the, um, what's it called? Doppler thingy. Oh, really? Yeah. Like the little at home thing. Yeah. Yeah. They sent one home to you. Mm -hmm. And then a blood for the at home appointments. Oh, okay. Um, Which I kind of feel like I didn't really know what I was doing with twins, you know, just doing the best I could with the Doppler thing. With my twins, they couldn't find a heartbeat at all. That's because there was a bunch of them in there. <laughs> I think they were confusing <laughs> a bunch of heartbeats with no heartbeats. <laughs> they would always ask me like, um, where do they usually stick it to find the heartbeats? And I would like tell them so mm-hmm. they could find both of them. Yeah, anyway. I had. Yeah, I remember being like, well, I had a medical student or something. I was like, well, once I can feel one over here and I, I can feel one, you know, down here. They're kind of in tricky spots. They're like, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you <laughs> did that at home. Did a lot of that at home, but they gave me a blood pressure cuff and I took my blood pressure a lot because I just always kind of have high blood pressure. And I was like, look, I'm having these symptoms. I even went to the hospital one night because my hands are swollen and I'm like, I can feel it in my chest and my blood pressure is high and it's not going down. And they kind of just dismissed me, which I feel like 35 weeks pregnant with twins. That's not really something you should dismiss, but it all went okay. It wasn't bad. They decided to induce me at 37 weeks. So it was kind okay. of a combination of Mavis being small and me having high blood pressure, preeclampsia, which they diagnosed at the very end. So I got induced at 37 weeks. I tried to get them to take them earlier, but they wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> it a couple days. Come on. Fine. <laughs> I went and I got induced. It was an unevent- uneventful induction. It was really quiet and I got to schedule my epidural. I got to have lunch beforehand. It was like very, very relaxing, which you wouldn't normally think of like a twin delivery. Yeah. Jensen was uh, bigger and head down and Mavis was breech, but tiny. So that was like the perfect combination for a vaginal delivery, which was awesome because I was terrified of the idea of a C-section, which obviously a lot of twin moms have to do. So I got to do that. And it was how many minutes apart were they born? 
10 minutes because she was breech. And so the doctor was like reaching in and she kept grabbing. She's like, I've got a hand and I've got a foot and I just need two feet to pull her out. Yeah. Um, so once she, she got that and they had to do a lot of, they had to do like an ultrasound to make sure that Mavis to look at positioning, but then to make sure that Mavis wasn't in distress. So it was pretty, it was uneventful from their point of view, but from my point of view, I was just like sobbing with just fear, you know, just scared that something was going to happen to one of them. And they didn't really have any idea of what made her be small, which afterwards I realized it's just sometimes, you know, I just wasn't giving enough to her, I guess, to help her grow or whatever. I don't know. But I was like, is there going to be something, you know, medically that they're going to have to address or who knows what's going to happen? I I just the worst case scenarios. Right. I mean, I think everyone does that. But so she was born and she had to go to the NICU for only 11 days, which was great. But she was just itty bitty. She was three pounds, 15 ounces, while Jensen was seven pounds, three ounces. Oh, wow. So it like totally tipped the scales. And they all, all the nurses joked about how he stole everything from his sister. Well, I mean, that is a, that is a legit thing sometimes, right. but I think that, I don't know, can twin to twin transfusion happen with different amniotic sacs? And I don't think that, I, I didn't think you could do that. I don't think so. Maybe if like the placentas. Yeah, I know. I know they do if they're, yeah, they're mono twins, but I didn't know that with thytide twins. Um, Okay. So she's in the NICU, which is probably pretty tough, especially with COVID because only one of you can go in to see. Yeah. Well, it was the toughest part was that they were twins. So we had one twin at home who couldn't come. Right. And then as well as big brother, who was newly three and had never really been away from me ever. I mean, me going to the hospital was the first time I'd ever been away from Wyatt because I had issues with sending my kids away, I guess. Not anymore. I'm like, get out of my house. But (laughs) (laughs) So we had Mavis in the NICU, Jensen at home. And then at the same time, he was having bilirubin issues. Okay. So we had you know, had to figure out, we were actually getting ready to go to the NICU to see Mavis one morning. And we're like, he's really yellow. I think we need to take him to the ER. So instead of going to the hospital that Mavis was at, we went to a different hospital to take JJ to the children's ER and get that figured out. So we had to drive all over town to get like a billy blanket and all sorts of stuff. (laughs) And then I still went to see Mavis because I hadn't seen her all day. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I think in hindsight, it's like, oh, 11 days, that's not that long, especially compared to parents who have children in the NICU for weeks or months. But in that moment, when you're newly postpartum, you've got two brand new babies and they're in two different places. Yeah, that's tough. Nightmare. All she needed was like a little time to grow on the outside. And she kind of just figured it all out on her own. And they were saying... It was, we had no clue how long she was going to be in there. And we had doctors being like, well, you know, don't, don't discourage yourself. Don't be surprised if it takes, you know, a couple of weeks. Our goal is like her due, her due date, which would have been, there were three weeks, you know, early. So three weeks was their kind of goal. And we actually had a nurse who Sam had come up to pick me up and he was like, well, you know, maybe she'll be home like next weekend. How great would that be? And the nurse laughed at him, which mm. was horrifying as a brand new mom to hear that this dream we had of our baby coming home in a couple of days was crazy, but she did. So she decided she was going to take that nurse on. Um, I got a call one morning or I think I called them and I was like, Hey, you know, just checking for an update. I think I'm going to come in around this time. I tried to, you know, give them an update of when I would come in and see her so they could kind of plan stuff. 
And the nurse was like, you know, I think she's doing okay. I'm going to see if we can send her home today. And I was like, oh, oh, wow. oh okay. And Sam was like, can we give her the weekend so that we can get some stuff done? But <laughs> so <laughs> she was ready to go. So I went and brought her home and she's had no problems ever since. She's just a peanut. But Is she still small? I don't, she doesn't look small to me. She looks about the same size as her brother. So she's seventh percentile now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and she was like, 0.02 percentile when she came home so she's small definitely for her size and I think Jensen he looks pretty I think he looks pretty big but he's actually only like 30 or 40th percentile so he's a little on the smaller side too he just I don't know looks big I think compared to her okay gotcha okay so you guys are a military family and he, you guys have gone through deployments when he lived in Korea wasn't technically a deployment but everybody else would see it that way because he was there you were not <laughs> right, so yeah. yeah it definitely definitely had the same kind of feel as a deployment I think and you lived with your parents what were some things that you guys did as a family to make sure that you were still a family <laughs> what did you do to bond during those times yeah so it was tough especially I think the time difference was tough because I, I want to say it was like maybe a 14 hour time difference. So we would get up in the morning, Wyatt and I, and we would call Sam on FaceTime. Our family loves FaceTime being all across the country from each other now. So we called him on FaceTime every morning and he was like getting ready to go to bed. So it wasn't a whole lot of productive conversations and Wyatt was one, one and a half at the time. So it wasn't a whole lot going on, but we would do that. We would, I would show Wyatt videos. We had a lot of like Dada books that we would read. We had a lot of pictures of him that we would, you know, look at and talk about him. And then Sam scheduled to come home. We actually saw him three times in that year. So we got really lucky because you get like 30 days of out of country leave, you know, if you have the leave saved up. So he came home, he left in December. He came home for Easter for two weeks. And then he came home in September for Wyatt's birthday for two weeks. And then he was, he actually did training over the summer in Alaska with his unit. And so we, Wyatt and I flew from Texas up to Alaska for like a week and a half. Um, and we just got to hang out together, which was a lot of fun. So it, it actually worked out pretty well. And it, you know, in hindsight, obviously it was like, oh, it wasn't that bad. No, it was doable. But I think in the moment it was, it was rough because I was parenting all by myself. I had my parents help, but you know, I mean, it was mostly me and he, I didn't work. I've, you know, been a stay at home mom since my kids have been born. So it was just Wyatt and I every day, all day for a whole year. And that was, it was a lot, but we made it. So, and tell me now his work schedule, now he's home. You guys live in the same city, <laughs> the same household, <laughs> yeah. but his work schedule is pretty, um, I would say unique to most other American families. Definitely. Yeah. So he is a medic and the job that, or the unit that he works for, they go out and do field training pretty frequently. So their typical field training is like six days. So he'll leave for like six days at a time. And their, their goal is that they're only gone like once a month, but they've been really understaffed since he's been there just the way it works, I guess. But so sometimes he'll be gone for a week, come home for a week, but in that time, he's still at work. You know, he goes to work every day and then be gone for another week and then home home for another week. So there have been times where it's just back to back. And when he was 
luckily with the military, he gets great, he got great parental leave after the twins were born. And then he took some leave on top of it, but he went to on a two week field training when they were five weeks old, like straight back to work. So he was home that first five weeks, but then straight away, he went to the field for two weeks. And that was, so that was my first time with three kids all by myself. And that was tricky. That was a little, a little rough. I hadn't even been cleared by my doctor yet. Like I hadn't even had my postpartum appointment yet. So it was like, wow, we're like really in this now. Sometimes I don't know if other military families or military spouses have feelings where it's like, well, our life doesn't really look like what you assume a military family life would look like. Like he's not out in the Middle East for nine months at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it doesn't really feel like we're a military family. I'm like, oh, we're just a normal family, just like everyone else, which I think is kind of just hopeful thinking. And then he, we have something like that come up where it's like, I have got two five-week-old babies and a three-year-old and I am by myself. Yeah. And I can't even, I couldn't even contact him. I mean, he would try to call us like every couple days, but he was out in a place where they didn't have service. So I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do if something goes wrong. That's stuff you have to kind of think about. Like, do we have someone that I can call on if one of the kids has to go to the hospital or if something's wrong with me? What if something happens to me? My kids don't know how to call 911, you know? So stuff like that makes you realize that, oh, we actually have a very different life from like our neighbors, you know? Yeah. What is your day-to-day, like your household management when it comes to him being gone all the time and then he's back? How do you guys handle that kind of household management? Yeah. Yeah. That's really tricky because we do kind of get into a rhythm when he's gone of just trying to propel ourselves forward. So now it's a little bit easier because we have external factors that dictate our schedule, like quiet being in preschool. And we've got things like occupational therapy and speech therapy and physical therapy that keep us kind of on schedule. So it's kind of like whether he's here or he's away, those things don't change. So that kind of helps a little bit, but yeah, when he's gone, it's like, okay, you know, we get up, like, let's just keep things moving. We're now at a stage where we have a lot of breakdowns about daddy being gone especially Mm. with our oldest and I think sometimes it's not so much that he misses him but more so that he's like well my dad's gone and something feels wrong so I'm gonna blame it on that Mm -hmm. that can kind of be really tricky and I think sometimes even when Sam is home he'll have you know he'll run to the grocery store and it's like but I miss daddy it's like well he's just at the store like he's gonna come back but I think you know I think part of that is just four-year-old I don't know, behavior of. Yeah. But that's also something that's, I mean, it could be concerning later on, you know? So what are things you're doing to like support your kids in, I mean, you can't just have your husband change careers. I mean, he could, but it doesn't look like it's in the stars. So how do you support your kids in all of the changes? Oh, it's tough. So why it's been in occupational therapy for two years. And a big part of that has been like emotional regulation, which I think if you don't know anything about OT, that wouldn't make any sense to you, but which it didn't make any sense to me before he did it either. But he, it's been a big part of his OT experience has been, you know, figuring out how to calm down our senses and work through our emotions. So we try to just be really affirming of what he's feeling. It is really hard and it is not fair that your daddy is gone and our neighbor's daddy is home every day. It's not fair and it's not your fault and there's nothing that we can do about it. But here's what we can do is we can have 
fun with the four of us when daddy's gone and when daddy's home, we can make sure that we do fun stuff and we give hugs and kisses. And, you know, what are the things that we're going to do when daddy comes home? Are we going to build a fort and have a movie night? Are we going to go to the trampoline park? So it's, it's tough. I mean, I feel like it sounds easy to spell it out like that, but it's not, it's really hard. (laughs) We're just doing the best we can though. I mean, what can you do except try to be like, yeah, this is hard. Imagine how hard it is for him as a four-year-old. And then for me, where I'm like, I just want this guy to come home because I need a break. So, I mean, imagine how he feels as someone who can't fully process all that's going on, you know? So you moved just right before pandemic. So that's probably adds another layer of like how you build a village, but as a, as a military family, how have you learned to build a village and help yourself? Because I kind of imagine, especially the time that they were born, you probably didn't have very much help with the twins. Yeah, it has been really rough. I think that was one of the biggest misconceptions I had about military life before we got married was that, you know, once you're in the community, you have a community, you have a village. And that has never been the case for us. When we were in San Antonio, he had a couple different units that he was in um, because he changed jobs a little bit. And maybe it's him being in the medical community, but I feel like they don't tend to have a very strong village that they build because they're all kind of just doing their own thing because it's so vast there's doctors and nurses and sam as a medic and all sorts of different you know jobs and so we didn't have any type of community when we lived in san antonio and then obviously when he was in korea i was in dallas which is not a military community so we had no access to resources there and then we moved up here and especially when the twins were born because of covid We weren't having people over. We weren't really connecting to anyone, but the unit that he's in now is pretty connected. So I feel really lucky that, you know, we had some family members or some, uh, some families in the unit that brought like dinners for us when he was gone, which was so amazing because I don't like cooking. (laughs) So a lot of times when Sam is gone, it's like, all right, we're having cereal, we're having pizza, we're having peanut butter sandwiches, and we're all just, we're just going to survive on that. But it does take, now I'm really lucky, our next door neighbors are not military, but they're incredible. And they've helped us out a million times when Sam has been home or been away. I mean, he had, he had just left to go back to Korea and Wyatt locked me out of the house with dogs. And I like, I went over to the house and I was like, I'm really sorry, but I don't have keys to get back into my house. Can you help me? (laughs) So they helped us call a locksmith and break in, break into our house so that I could get a screaming two-year-old. But so our next door neighbors are wonderful. And I, I think that's another thing because we live off base. And I think that's a big part of it. I'm, I think living on base, a lot of people find their community a lot faster, Mm -hmm. Um, but we, we've never lived on base. So I'm curious to see how that experience would be for our family, but living off base, I think having non-military families that are part of your village can be really valuable and it can be kind of tough because I think a lot of people don't want to be don't want to go out of their way to be friends with someone they know are going to leave in a couple years yeah but luckily our next door neighbors are not like that and they're really wonderful and then just in the past like six-ish months I've made one good friend I've made one friend and we've you know with kids it's it feels like, oh, we're like best friends. And we've hung out like three times, but yeah, you know, like, oh, we're, this is the only person I've seen in months. You're my best friend now. I hope that's okay. 
Um, well, mom dating is a thing. Like, how did you meet her? What did you do? Well, thankfully for Facebook, we had mutual friends all across the country that we just met through like Instagram and stuff. And she messaged me and she was like, this is really weird, but we have a bunch of mutual friends and I think you might be cool. <laughs> I'm moving to your base. So would you want to hang out sometime? And I was like, this is amazing. This is all I've ever wanted because making friends is so hard. We've luckily met up a few times recently, just since the holidays have been over. And it's like, oh, you're like my friend's soulmate. You're who I've been looking for. Like we just have the same personality and we get along. And it's like, this is what I've been. I actually told her she came over for dinner a week or two ago when our husbands were both gone. And I was like, this is going to sound really weird, but this is the only thing I've ever wanted out of being a military wife since I got married six years ago was a friend who, you know, we could just be together without being around our husbands or we can have, have each other's backs with our kids. And so it's really great, but that is great. And you know what? I I don't know how long she's been in the military, but like kudos to her for reaching out and finding someone. Cause that is bold to be like, Hey, you want to be my friend? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not, I'm not bold enough. Or I finally get the courage to ask someone to hang out. And then it's like, oh, we're sick. Oh, now we're sick. Oh, we're going to be out of town. You know, I mean, I think that's just life with little kids and having partners that have unreliable schedules and, you know, everything like that. So, yeah. So with his unreliable schedule and things fluctuating stuff, how do you take care of yourself as a human, as a mom, as a woman? Well, it's hard. I mean, I think it's hard for all moms, you know, especially having, we've got three kids that are four and under. So none of them are in school full time. So it's hard. I have, I was in school for a long time after having kids. So that took up a lot of my free time. And I finished my degree in October, which was wonderful. But that was, that was a lot of my free time. Lately, I've been really into audiobooks which we have talked a lot about. Yeah. <laughs> our, our nonfiction self-help. For yes. <laughs> so I've been really into that, like audiobooks and podcasts, I feel like are great for my brain. Like I'll put an AirPod in when I'm dealing with the kids and it's like just enough to dull all of their chaos and let me kind of like, let my brain work a little bit on like, well, what do I think about this? And, oh, you know, maybe, maybe I should try out this, I don't know, this thing or how is, how is this, you know, feeling that I've had impacted decisions I've made? I don't know. I try to get really, (laughs) really deep, but so that has been really great. It's kind of like a little bit of taking care of myself while I'm still taking care of my kids, which I feel like there's not a lot of things you can do simultaneously, but that's kind of one of them. But my big thing since the twins have turned one has been working out. So I'm a personal trainer. Um, but I haven't been able to work as one because of COVID and having little kids. So I've been working out regularly for like four months, which has been, I think the greatest thing for my sanity and mental health to have like that one thing that I'm like, yes, I did it. And you're able to do it when your husband's out of town as well. Yes. Yeah. So I work out at home, which we have like a garage gym that we've built but it's always cold out there. So I don't like to go out there, yeah. but um, the, the program that I developed, it's just dumbbells and I do it in the living room. Sometimes I do it while the kids are like eating breakfast, but I, I really enjoy doing it in the morning before they all get up. 
but I have a problem of staying up too late. <laughs> not wanting to same, get up in same, the same. <laughs> yes. But if I can convince myself to get out of bed at like five and drink my coffee and work out, I feel like I am a different mom because I'm actually nice to my kids. <laughs> so those are both great ways to take care of yourself. I always feel like I guess it depends on the podcast, but I feel like they're my friends. Like I become friends with the little people yes. in my ear. And so I feel less lonely, like hanging out with the little person in my ear. I know. Yeah. We're buddies. It does, it does feel that way. It's Until like, you Google what they look like. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> I, it's like their voice does not match their face. I was like, Hey, that's not how I pictured you before, but it's okay. I can handle it. <laughs> All right. So when your husband comes back, you are on point and you're on you are it most of the time until your husband comes home. How do you encourage more of a partnership when he comes home to help him assimilate into roles in the household? Well, I'll let you know when I figure it out. Okay. <laughs> well, okay. To be fair to Sam, he has worked really hard to make things feel fair when he's home. So he really tries to be hands-on dad and, you know, take care of things that I ask him to, um, which I can't remember if we've talked about Fair Play by Eve Rodsky before. Mm, no, uh, I'll write that down. It's a it's a book I listened to um, back in January. And she has a new book that just came out that I really enjoyed too. But this book, it's all about one partner takes over X amount of responsibilities. And it's all about the, the what does she talk about? The conception, the planning, and the execution. So basically the other partner, instead of everything being like, well, these are all the things we need to do and you take half of them. The other partner is like, these are the things that need to get done and I'm going to take care of them. And it's not, like, it wouldn't be my responsibility to say, make sure that the trash is out on Wednesday and take the trash out every day, everything like that. But that doesn't work in our home. Right. For most things. I mean, there are some things like say, you know, irregular maintenance of the cars, right? The cars only need oil changes every however many months. Right, that, right. You know, that could be something that would work, but I can't rely on him to make sure that the trash is out every Wednesday because he's not home every Wednesday. Right. He's on most of them. So it's really tricky to figure out how to like offload some of the mental energy that is used to keep track of the to-do list. So that's really tricky, but he does do the best he can when he's home to take, take care of things. And we're getting better now that the kids are all getting a little bit older. And I think part of it is that it's just hard for me to let go of control of things Yeah, because I'm, I think I can be very type a in that way. And it's like, you don't do this the right way. Like do it this way when it's mm -hmm. like, maybe it doesn't really matter how the kids are fed breakfast. They don't really care. They're babies. He can figure it out for himself. So we're trying now that, I don't know, we're getting a little bit more into this parents of three kids thing now that they're not babies and they're more like toddlers because they were, they've been breastfed their whole life. So that's a big part of it too, is when I can only be away from them for an hour and a half, I can't do a whole lot. Right. And not really that enjoyable, but now that they're a little bit older. I can be away for the whole morning and I can go a couple of weeks ago, I went to Michael's and I went and got groceries too, but I can go do some things for myself without worrying about what is happening at home. And so we're getting better at doing that, but also knowing that in a couple months, he's going to be gone for the summer. So it's kind of like back to square one with what we're going to do there. So when he's home, he's great. Like I came up here this morning 
and he brought me breakfast and he made me a smoothie and he was like you just do your thing you know you just <laughs> calm yourself down it's gonna be great I was like okay so he's dealt with the kids all morning which has been awesome so when he's home he's great and it's just kind of figuring out that balance of because it does at times feel like why do you get a break for a whole week when it's like, well, he's working. And I yeah. logically, I understand that, but it's still like, you don't have any of these other responsibilities. So it's really tough. And part of that's just on me, you know, and then part of it. And I think a lot of, I've seen a lot of other military spouses say the same thing. Like, I know that what he's doing is important and it's his job, but I'm still left with everything else. Yeah. I think it's just open communication about, what you're feeling instead of bottling it up. Cause I'm sure I did that for a really long time and then trying to find solutions for when he is home to make things feel a little more balanced. And then I think also part of it, I've had to tell Sam, like, I need your help to prepare for you to leave for us. I need you to do more than just prepare for your trip. I need you to prepare the house for you being gone. It's like, I don't want to be doing your laundry and I don't want to be cleaning up after all of the food that you prepped beforehand. Tell me what your best twin mom advice is. Oh, best twin mom advice. It's important to have a really low bar of expectations when you've got those new babies with new babies with new twins, especially I think if you've already had a kid you expect it to go a certain way uh-huh yeah with the twins we were really I say we had a low bar we were really disciplined though about certain things like you really have to pick your battles yep. what are the pillars you're going to stand on so for us we were like we need them to sleep well at night that's just something that's non-negotiable so every night at now it's at seven but when they were little it was at every night six o'clock they're in bed we eventually worked up to teaching them how to like go to sleep on their own and go down for naps on their own. But we're, we've got blackout curtains and we've got white noise in there in their crib every night. We we're not going places. We're not going to be out of the house. That's just one of our pillars. We will not negotiate on that. I'm sorry. Some things at 545 can't make it. Sorry. Won't be there because them being good sleepers is the most important thing to us. Even still now at, you know, almost one and a half and they're, they're very reliant on their sleep routine. It will be, you know, they go down for a nap at 12, 15, it'll be 12 o'clock and JJ will come up and just like, like snuggle on me and he's ready for bed, you know? Yeah. So that's really great. And now that they're a little bit older, we can be a little bit more lenient, but we still try to stick to their, their nap routine because it gets crazy if we don't, you know, if they're not, if they're not sleeping their normal hours. But I think the other things you have to let go of, you know, you have to pick what you're going to what you're going to stand on and then let go of everything else. So I had ideas of what feeding them would be like, and they really didn't start solids until, I mean, we were trying, but they weren't really ready to start until a little bit later, like after this four or six month mark or whatever. And we weren't even really getting them sat down for meals regularly until about a year. Okay. And I, I saw a mom comment in a twin group. She was like, I just can never get my kids down for like regular meals. I feel like they're not eating enough. And I was like, give it just a couple more months 
because it's just crazy when they're little. Yeah. And so that was just something I had to let go of. Like, you guys want to have your snack time on the couch? Cool. I don't care. You're going to throw peanut butter sandwiches on the floor to the dogs? I don't care. Go ahead. Go crazy. You know? (laughs) So I think you have to pick and choose what really matters. I think that's a big thing for twin parents is to choose what you're going to stand on. And then you just have to be willing to let go because they're their own people and they're going to do their own thing. And there's only so much we can control. And you have to decide what's really, you know, important enough to get stressed out over. Yeah, I think that's great. Great advice. Thank you so much, Hannah. I really appreciated this conversation. Thank you. I'm so excited. Thanks for hanging out with me today. If you want to hang out some more, you can follow me on Instagram at Neighborhood Twin Mom. If you want more info on what we talked about in this episode or a transcription of the audio, head to NeighborhoodTwinMom.com. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star rating and review. This helps other people be able to find the podcast. Music for this episode was composed by Cameron Norby. Find more of his work on YouTube. Am I good to go now? Go for it.